really didn't learn about my family's undocumented status until later on. Welcome to Insider Career Conversations, a podcast that highlights unique careers and non-traditional education paths. I'm your host, Sylvia Juarez, an education consultant and first-generation advocate. This season's conversations touch on immigrant community advocate roles and how at times they require a specific type of community engagement. Each episode features guests well-versed in their field. We discuss their personal and professional journeys. My co-host this season is Yari Ortiz. She is someone I admire and have worked with for years to support undocumented students. In the past, we have focused on higher education, which evolved into recognizing the informal information and career advice students need to be successful in college and beyond. Now, we've reconnected and we're bringing those conversations with new perspectives. Hey, Yadi, how's it going? Hi, Sylvia. Thank you so much for having me here today. And I am so happy to work with you. You know, folks, if, if you don't know, we've been doing work together in higher education in the past years. We had a little bit of an MIA type of, you know, vacation away from each other, just paths, I think, just took us different directions. But we were both in higher education, and that's where I met Sylvia. Now I am in the nonprofit world. I am the executive director of Pre-Held Dreamers. But Sylvia, I'm so happy to be back with you. We did so much work together here in San Bernardino County working with undocumented students, undocumented families. And I think we really um, learned a lot from each other and we're really able to create just community events and a bridge for our community and for our students, whether they were going to high school, community college or four-year institution. Um, And I think we really worked hard to, you know, just take down some of those barriers that our students had, which we could see as being inside of higher education uh, so I'm really excited to to be here with you today, Sylvia. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your wisdom, your energy, because sometimes uh, just that being in the room with folks that have the same type of energy is really important. And I felt that immediately when we met and we were constantly in meetings together. And I'm not afraid to say that we challenged some status quo. And uh, hopefully that helped not only our local community, but beyond, because I also bumped into you at a couple of conferences nationally talking about the undocumented community and some of the resources that should be provided for them. And later, we'll talk a little bit more specifically about what you're doing now with the pre-health dreamers and how you're doing that, that work in a more policy level. I wanted to start our conversation with the first generation group. Uh, you and I belong to that first generation community that has often had some challenges when it comes to not only our education, but access to either jobs or even personally for health, as you're going to tell us about within your guests that you invite. But I also wanted to to really tap into the beauty of being an immigrant. This particular season, I want to focus on how the immigrant community really has a lot of traits and characteristics that we bring anywhere, whatever field we're in, we bring a value in terms of our potential, but also what we invest in innovation and beyond. So the story that I know about you, Yadi, is that you are a first generation and you are an advocate when it comes to making sure that everyone has an open door into higher education. That's how I met you. So can you tell me a little bit about your kind of moving forward? 
Yeah. And, and really to tell you the truth, Sylvia, when I was growing up, I think my parents did a really, a really good job in not putting a lot of weight on us due to the, the weight that they were feeling as immigrants. I think my mom was always very vocal herself. She was always an advocate at a young age, even while she was pregnant with me, she was an activist for um, labor rights. Awesome. Right. And so she was very active in the community. I really didn't learn about my family's undocumented status until later on, Mm -hmm. actually, until I was well into adult age. I didn't realize like a lot of the things that had impacted my family were because of a result of immigration, you know, their immigration journey and also their undocumented status when they were much younger. I was not aware of that. And I think my parents were very nervous to even talk. They don't talk about it very often. Mm -hmm. And it just came out by accident. And so then once I learned all of that, I kind of started putting the pieces together. Like, oh, that is why those concerns or those issues were very prevalent in my family. You know, that's why that type of mental health existed in my family. Ah. Because a lot of, yeah, so it all started piecing together, which really helped me as an adult. Like, oh, now I, I get it. I get it. I get what my mom was feeling. I get what my dad was saying, but I never realized it until later on. So, which right. I think for me, it really created like this. Why aren't we talking about it more? Like, right. why do children have to wait until they're much older to understand what the parents are going through? But I think it's just embedded in our culture, right? Like right. we don't talk about our issues with our kids. I think it's also coupled with integration and how we integrate ourselves into a community or not, right? I think some of the issues that come with the mental health that you're referring to come with the fact of fit. Where do I fit? I'm not quite here, at least as you mentioned, those of us, you and I were born here. We don't fit there and we don't fit here. But our parents also felt that to a certain degree, even though they were from other countries, in my case, from Mexico. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they... They were successful here in the U.S., but because of, you know, social class or maybe location or region where they decided to to set up roots, they still had that division of class that also follows some of our communities into the U.S. And I, I think that advocating that your mom did, and I'm sure your father supported her. For me, it was more of my my dad being very critical and analytical about things and making sure that we were educated as females, my sister and I for that same purpose mm. was that he wanted for our integration to come from education from the from the education component that's how i think he's planted the seed eventually for me to be in the field that i'm in promoting higher education and careers that we don't see very many faces that are black and brown or even first generation community members so did you get that spark when you were in high school did you get it when you were in you know college like i i understand you saw it in your household but where did you take rain like to be an advocate. Uh Yeah, I think it was embedded in me from birth. I really do. My mom, uh, she told me a story um, a couple of years ago, like when she was eight months pregnant with me, they had to take her off of a taco truck because she was protesting. So I always tell my mom, it's your fault. Not the taco truck takeover. She was on top of a taco (laughs) truck and she's like, they had to get me down. And what are you? So I tell her, mom, it's your fault that I am the way I am. My other sisters are not. You know, they do community work in other ways, not in outward facing advocacy. Uh, One's a teacher, one works in the healthcare system. 
But I always tell my mom, it's your fault. It was embedded in me from the moment I was made, right? It's a So her outspokenness was inherent to you, your outspokenness. Yes. Yadi, I think you and I kind of defined as we sat down to talk about the theme for this particular podcast for Insider Career Conversations. We talked about immigrant community advocates. What does that mean to you? What label does that carry? Because I think you and I had a really good discussion about it and landed on it. And I'd like for our listeners to, to hear some of that. You know, it took me a long time to really accept that advocate title. Because for me, advocacy was like something that you did out in the streets. It was more towards activism being out in the streets. And so I always really was very cautious about using that advocate term. But the more and more I learn about how advocacy works, I really have embraced it and gone with it. I never saw myself as an advocate until I was called one. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. I'm just like, I'm just trying to do what's right, or I'm just trying to speak up. Right. And for me, really, now looking back for me, advocacy or the work in advocacy for me has really been being in one with community, really being one with community and doing what's best for the community as a whole, not what's best for you all the time, but what's best for the community. And even for my kids, we lived in a low income area for a very long time. My kids still go to school there. Because I've kept them there because I go, we need to stay in the community. You cannot be one with the community and work with the community if you leave it. From afar. You, yeah. From yeah, afar. They, yeah, that, yeah. The, the work changes. The work cha- Not that you can. Let me take that back. Not that you can't. But the work really changes when you're working with the community and for the community. Right. I think there's a certain insight when you're in the neighborhood. There's mm-hmm. a certain opportunity to observe silently and and in some cases really take over the understanding of what the purpose of what you have to do and what needs to get done. I was introduced to advocacy or the word advocate in a different way. I had to search for something that was an alternative to being a troublemaker because once I did start advocating, then it was, oh, here comes trouble. I knew it was a joke. You know, I knew it was like, oh, okay, here comes Syl. She's going to get stuff done. I respected the fact that people had that opinion of me because I think it was important to have that kind of respect. What they said behind my back, I'm not sure, but if they were bold enough to say, you know, some of the things they said to me in front of me that I can only imagine. But I embraced advocate and advocacy because of the fact that the word, at least in my upbringing of troublemaker, was not a good label for a female, especially, to carry. We're talking 70s, 80s, you know very rural area of California, that that wasn't something that you wanted to do. You wanted to be a good girl. You wanted to to do what you, you were told and move forward. So I looked for the, the an alternative word, which is advocate, and I embraced it, but I still had the same gusto, if you will, of being a troublemaker because you're, you're challenging status quo. I really like right now the term that's being used of um, disrupting I like that a lot because some of the work that we have to do has to disrupt what is in -hmm. place just because it seems to be, it should have been that way for a long time or has been that way for a long time. And it's just not appropriate. Immigrant communities, I think, are such a valuable resource for this country, for the work that they do, for the economy that they contribute to. I don't think that's talked about enough that we contribute Mm -hmm. in an economical way. 
in a variety of ways, not only by the labor, but also by the consumption. And that includes those who are undocumented. So I'd like to, for you to talk about the economic investment when there are individuals out there who can do the work, the higher level work in healthcare, but yet are stopped because they don't have a certain legal status. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. And so just really quick, I just want to mention, like, I think for me, my experience was a little bit, it was different from you in that you were very much of an observer growing up. And I was the opposite. I've always been a loud mouth. I've always been that troublemaker, right? And we've had to learn how to own that title. Like, yes, I had to learn how to own it. Like, I didn't realize I was being a troublemaker, but let's own it now that we have it. And what does that really mean? And just really quickly, like I want to just also mention, I know you and I had discussed, you know, just social justice in general. And I think that's really important before we move forward. If you don't know who Hector Plasencia is, check them out. They're amazing. I think I've learned a lot from the work that they've done. But Hector actually has a social justice model. And I think that put a lot of things into perspective for me, which I use for my students and the health professionals that I work with now. And it's there's three ways for you for social justice to take place, right? For it to be embedded into our communities. It's who you work with the system, against the system, and without the system. So as social justice activists, we have to use all three parts of it. I think what's important for us to assess is how are we going to work with, without, and against the system? And what's the percentage, right? Because that pie can move left, right. You can do working more with the system, working with a little bit less against the system if you don't feel so comfortable. I think for me, I always say I, I work against the system. To me, working with the system is very draining. I have to do it. I just choose to do it less. Mm-hmm. I still have to navigate those conversations in a very professional manner, in a manner that I have to sometimes kind of tailor myself. Right, right, right. In order to make change happen, right? That, that brings to to the attention that you and I both worked for a university, for universities and opposite uh, systems here in California. But nonetheless, there are very much some structural, I want to say incompetencies that will constantly be part of that, that institutional work that's done. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, once I left the university, it gave me some time again to observe, because that's my origin to observe and really start analyzing how I could be bold, despite the fact that there is some structure, right? Because at the end of the day, we're encouraging young professionals or students to consider becoming part of an institutional model. But how are they going to bring in their skill set? How are they going to bring in their type of leadership, their type of swag, if you will, academic swag or professional swag into that environment? And we're seeing it more and more through now the work that's being done with diversity, inclusion, equity and inclusion. I feel that it seems to be a slow process. And I think that considering, again, to my point about the economic investment that we have from immigrants that are in all parts of the professional scope and lens that we have here in the U.S. and California in particular, or wherever the states you may be part of, I feel that there's not enough credit 
if that's not even the broad enough word to say to the immigrant community and what we're contributing. I think that's oh, what we're yes. saying. Oh, yes. I think also like immigrants and undocumented folks don't realize sometimes, I think, you know, I work with students all the time and I work uh, with students who are becoming health professionals. For a, a big portion of my students, I have to remind them like, you are bringing in so much wealth into these mm-hmm. universities, yes. into these health professions, right? Yeah. You're bringing, you know, this experience that you had as an immigrant coming from immigrant families, the culture, the richness in culture, being sometimes bilingual. Sylvia, some of my students are trilingual. Yep, yep. And you that's know, never and so, recognized. That's never and that recognized. And that is never recognized. Mm-hmm. My students, like my students have been what do you say? They've been helping their parents or family members or just people in the community translate documents Mm -hmm. from a very young age. When they go to the doctor, when they go to, you know, an attorney, an immigration attorney, they're the ones translating. And to them, it's like, oh, that's normal. And it's not. They're scheduling for their families. They, I have to be at school, but my parent has to be over here and my younger brother and sister has to be over there. So they're running a household. They're the house managers, Correct. And you know, so their, their organizational skills, their time management, everything's on point. But yet again, when it's taken into the workplace, it's often either not recognized and exploited no. because if you're right. organized, if you come in with creative ideas, because you've had to be creative in your household or you've had to be creative in your community. Now we walk in and I'm talking about my experiences, both with the finance industry and the university setting. Where yes, you want to take advantage of my creativity and how I do things and the boldness when it comes to putting a project in place, but you don't want that same boldness when it comes to how to be out there representing a community at its maximum capacity. You don't want that that full throttle, which is great. I mean, I understand everybody's got to be protected and there's a lot of political issues going on right now, but we're playing hardball, but yet we keep trying to refer to pushing down on some of valuable well, assets that we have. What I tell my students all the time, it's I'm going to push you to get out of that comfort zone a little bit because wherever you go, whether it's, you know, your program at your school, you know, you, whether you're going into nursing or medicine, bottom line, they're going to be following protocol. They're going to be following yeah. requirements. They're going to be following this institutionalized streamlined method. And whether you want it or not, you're going to be institutionalized. Yep. You're going to be kind of trained to be that way. The way we, you know, the way our communities don't need for us to be when we're serving them. Right. And I think it's really important. Like I always tell my students, remember what you wrote on your application when you first applied to that medical school. What was your mission and what was your purpose of going into medical school? And don't forget that because it's really hard not to, especially once you become a health professional and you're just inundated with work and you just will follow policy because you don't have time to not do that. So it's like, go back to your roots. But Yadi also, you know, we often talk about the fact that there almost has to be a code switching class that we have to give in like some high schools for immigrant communities, because again, here we are in this structure that's set for whatever period of time it is. In your case, it's it's healthcare. And we're expecting these individuals who are 
ostracized in some cases, because we're talking about undocumented students with who you work with, undocumented individuals. And on top of that, we're telling them that they have to code switch. They have to modify their behavior within an environment that sometimes doesn't want them there, but they're pursuing it because they know that it's going to be better for the communities that they're going back to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if individuals are really processing that as they should at the leadership and administrative levels when it comes to not only the institutions where these individuals are getting their education, but also where they're also being placed to work. Any industry is not putting the time to be able to say, how am I going to capitalize on this? The Department of Mm -hmm. Commerce, I think it was 2019, late 2019, 2020, started this first generation movement, then COVID happened. So I'm really interested in seeing how the federal government is really gonna tap into that first generation population and really start seeing how Mm -hmm. corporations to start with are going to really start investing in how do we keep and not have this turnover that we have with employees that sometimes is because they're drained, they're burnt out, and we're not recognizing it because we're burning these, these individuals at both the candle at both ends. And we're, we're expecting them to deliver at this capacity, but we're not allowing them to be who they are in another area. And I think that that's constantly going to be an issue until we address it formally and put things in place to do that. That's why I love what you're doing now, because you're working nationally with pre-health dreamers. How is pre-health dreamers kind of helping move that needle when it comes to the status quo? Again, I go back to really working with our students. And you brought up a good point. Like we have to do that code switching, right? One emphasizing like why they're so great already and what what richness they're bringing into the education system by sitting in those rooms, by sitting in those lectures, by being part of that education system. But then also when they're going into their healthcare field, right? We're, We're training them so that they get there. But we also know that it's not enough just to matriculate and advance people of color. We also have to get them prepared. And and like you were calling it code switching, we talk about it as in make sure that for the beginning part, you want to be a Sylvia. You want to be there and kind of scope the room. What's going on in your facility? What's going on in your institution before you start making changes? Find out who is who. And how things get done at that place, right? And and you want to be an observer. But also go in and speak their language. We always talk about that. Speak their language. Right. You know, so I always tell students, like, when you go in, you know, you don't have to say you're a DACA recipient. You don't have to say you're undocumented. At the end of the day, you have a work permit if you have DACA right. or TPS. Right. right. So they don't have to know that, especially for processes. People don't get that. What's next for you, Yadi? Like, what do you hope to bring to the immigrant community that maybe you, you're working on and you want to do more of or that you want to get started? Like, how can we then, you know, make this an opportunity to kind of put that out in the universe? So this is something I never thought I would be doing and I never thought it would be such a passion of mine. I'm currently working with institutions at the state level here in California and also, also at the national level. For them to create more welcoming and accessible spaces for undocumented folks. You know, a lot of institutions are out there saying we're undocu-friendly. Undocu-friendly, what does that mean? I really want folks to assess what that means. 
And we're doing a lot of training on that because if you go and really visit schools or institutions or become part of these institutions, you will find that a lot of times when they say undocu-friendly, all they mean is that they accept the person in right through mm-hmm. the admissions process. process. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there is really nothing that makes that institution accessible. I had a student that was accepted to an Ivy League school. They said, you're, you know, we welcome you great, provided no financial aid when their tuition was $100,000. And then they emailed the student and said, oh, you know, if you can't pay that, go ahead and feel free to revoke your admission. So how can you say you are undocu-friendly when it's like you invite somebody out for dinner, but Uh don't put food on their plate? Like you get to sit there with an empty plate while I have this feast, but I'm being friendly because I, at least I invited you over to the table. And that happens so much with undocumented and immigrant folks. And, and I think for me, that is something that we're working on very heavily right now at pre-health dreamers. Like, you know, we really just want to stop saying that we're undocumented friendly and really walk the walk. Right. And, and assess ourselves. Yeah. Let's take action now. Let's assess, let's set goals, let's be truthful what we can and cannot do. What partners do we need to bring in? And another thing also, like for me, it's really important to create that bridge between nonprofits and especially grassroots organizations. I've seen the amazing work that grassroots organizations do with very little resources, yet they're not seen as important by these big institutions. And I think both have very much to learn about each other, yet it's really hard to bring both to the same table. Right. Yeah, that's something we really want to do here at Pre-Health Dreamers to help undocumented students going into healthcare um, and accessing healthcare as well. And I think one of the things that I want to leave everyone with is that the fact that what we're advocating here with immigrant community advocates is the fact that we're contributing we're not being given anything. Nothing's going to be handed to us. We're getting the education. We're getting the training, whether it be at the higher level, like a PhD, an MD, to a, a technical training that can be done through a certification or licensing. We're getting the education. We're contributing to society. We are here. We need to be recognized and provided the same opportunities as everyone else. I think that's one of the things that I want to really lead this season with girl, you got me started. I don't know what to say, but I really do want to thank you for agreeing to being to be part of this, this season because I hope that with the guests that you're bringing in and that I'm bringing in, we're really going to find some really good synergy and conversations that I think aren't being had enough or maybe I haven't been part of because, you know, I'm a troublemaker. But, but I think that we do need to have an out there at least to cause some conversations or discussions in places that you and I don't get to go into. So thank you so much for your time. And I really do appreciate it. And I look forward to our, our next conversation with someone that will continue this for us. And, and I really am excited about learning more about what you're doing with Pre-Health Dreamers and the policy work that you are moving forward. Thank you. Thank you, Sylvia, for having me today and for this discussion. I know I can go on for hours. Stay tuned for more insider career conversations that showcase career paths within immigrant community advocacy. We appreciate you listening and look forward to next time. Insider Career Conversations is a production of Juarez Consulting. For more information, you can visit JuarezConsultingInc.com. 
This episode was produced by Sylvia Juarez-Magana with production help and editing by Kazmara Hall.